This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Colin Britton bringing to you Volume 3, Number 2 of February 1925, Charity. The subject of charity, or brotherly aid, may well be illustrated by a sketch of condition that was developed itself among the Roman people many centuries ago. In essentials, that condition was the same as the condition in which we now live. In the early days of the Roman Republic, a man grew up in the house in which he was born. When he married, he brought his wife to live with him under the paternal roof. When he died, he left his sons abiding in the same place. Neighbouring families were similarly stabilised, and all these groups, owing to its perpetual neighbourliness and its intermarriage, became so involved with each other that in a community there would not be one stranger. In such a community, the individual was not left to his own private resources. He was surrounded by others, ever ready to aid him in his misfortune, nurse him in illness, and mourn him in death. But there came a time when this stability of life was broken up. By degrees, the Romans conquered adjoining territories. A great military system was organized. Whole nations were brought into the Roman Empire. Great cities arose, travel was made possible, and feverish relentlessness took the place of the old stability. The old calm of neighborhood life was destroyed, and in its place there grew up a fermenting life in town and city. A man no longer lived and died in the place of his birth, but moved from place to place, becoming a stranger in his own neighborhood, and scarce knew other persons living under the same roof. In misfortune and death he was thrown back on his own, unaided individual resources. In this situation men set out about the creating of a bond that would take the place of lost neighbourhood ties. They organised themselves into collegial groups formed of men in the same trade, which in the early days of their history was principally devoted to securing for a man a becoming burial service, the lack of which so filled a Roman with dread. In the course of times these organisations, we could rightly call them lodges, assumed more and more functions until a last man found in them charities, so that social life, business aid, religious influences, friendships and other features of general protection. To live a stranger in a city was no longer a thing of dread. To a man who could find in such fellowship the same friendship and support that his forefather had secured in the old-time neighbourhood. We men of today are living under just such a condition as brought collegia into existence. The great majority of us are living in towns and cities. Many of us are subject to conditions that shuttle us about from place to place and from situation to situation so that life has lost its firmness 
and security. Our next-door neighbour is a stranger. We may live in an apartment house, where even with dwellers on the same floor we have no ties at all. In the midst of such conditions, the individual is often thrown entirely upon his own resources. It is here that the lodge comes in. For the lodge, from its present point of view, is nothing other than a substitute for the old-fashioned small community life, wherein neighbour was so tied to neighbour that there was no need of charities, social centres or employment bureaus. In a lodge, a man need no longer be a stranger. He finds there other men who, like himself, are eager to establish friendships, eager in social intercourse, and pool the resources of all in behalf of the needs of each. From all of this, one can see at a glance what brotherly aid really is. It is the substitution of the friend for the stranger. It is a spirit which throws around a man the comforts and securities of love. When a worthy brother in distress or his family is helped, it is not a pauper, as in the fashion of public charity, but the kindly help which one neighbour is always so glad to lend to another. Masonic charity is strong, kindly, beautiful and tender, and not charity in all in the narrow sense of the word. Nay, it does not wait until a brother is in distress, but throws about him in his strength and prosperity the affectionate arm of friendship, without which life is cold and harsh. Friendship, fraternity and fellowship, this is the soul of Freemasonry, of which charity is but one gesture with a thousand meanings. Freemasonry not only inculcates the principles of love and benevolence, it seeks to give them actual and living presence in all occupations and intercourse of life. It not only feels, it acts. It not only pities human suffering, it relieves it. Nowhere in the world can a good mason feel himself alone, friendless or forsaken. The invisible but helpful arms of our order surround him wherever he may be. Mystic stories tell us that the ancient gods invisibly and secretly followed their favourites in all their wanderings, and when they were exposed to danger or threatened with destruction, would unveil themselves in their awful beauty and power, and stand forth to preserve them from harm or to avenge their wrongs. So Freemasonry surrounds all her children with her preserving presence, revealing herself only in the hour of peril, sickness or distress. It is an erroneous idea, but one widely prevalent, that Freemasonry is a benefit society, that persons join in it that may be cared for in the periods of adversity. Nothing could be further from the truth, at least theoretically, one unit with our fraternity that we may serve and minister to the needs of others. Freemasonry is not, in itself, a charitable organization. That is, the principal purpose of the order is not charitable release to its members. Masonic charity is a great fact. It is an inherent part of the Masonic system, but it is not the primary purpose or function of Freemasonry. 
The fundamental creed of Masonry is, and ever must be, the study of Masonic philosophy. As Freemasons come together for the discussion of Masonic truth, a strong feeling of brotherhood naturally results. The friendships formed in this work carry in themselves a desire to relieve the necessities of unfortunate brothers. The real Masonic charity, or assistance, that is afforded to one brother to another, is assistance in the learning and understanding of Masonic truth. We are not taught that we shall afford one another political, business or social assistance. Masonic lodges are not political organisations. They are not business syndicates. They are not social cliques. The average Freemason looks askance at the brother who seems to seek assistance of such sort. However, it is not to be denied that the strong and enduring friendship formed in the lodge are a real assistance to a man in all his legitimate endeavours. But we must not forget that if we assist a brother Freemason in his endeavours, we assist him as a friend, and not because there is anything in Freemasonry that teaches us to discriminate in favour of Freemasons in the ordinary relationship of life. It is a common error to regard charity as that sentiment which prompts us to extend assistance to the unfortunate. Charity is a Masonic sense that has a much broader meaning and embraces affection and goodwill towards all mankind, but more especially our brethren in Freemasonry. It is this sentiment which prompts us Freemasons to suffer long and be kind, to control his temper, forgive the erring, reach forth his hand to stay a fallen brother, to warn him of his error and whisper in his ear that correction which his fault may demand, to close to his ear, to slander and his lips to reproach, in short, to do unto others as he would be done by. Charity, as applied to Freemasonry, is different from the usual and accepting meaning. All true Masons meet upon the same level, regardless of wealth or station. In giving assistance, we strive to avoid the all-too-common error of considering charity only as that of sentiment or commiseration, which leads us to assist the poor and unfortunate with pecuniary donations. Its Masonic application is nobler and more extensive. We are taught not only to relieve a brother's material wants, the cry of hunger, etc., but to fellowship with him upon our own level, stripped of worldly titles and honours. When we thus appeal to him, giving spiritual advice, lifting him up morally and spiritually with no sense of humiliation to him, we set him free from his passion and wants. To such charity there is a reciprocal body in which brotherly love and sincere appreciation. Divinity has wisely divided the act of charity into many branches and has taught us many paths to goodness. As many ways as we may do good, so many ways we may be charitable. There are infirmities, not only of the body, but of the soul, which require the merciful hand of our abilities. I cannot condemn a man for ignorance, but must behold him with pity. 
It is no greater charity to clothe his body than to appeal to the nakedness of his soul. It is an honourable object to see the reason of other men wear our liveries, and their borrowed and understanding do homage to the bounty of others. It is like the natural charity of the sun, which illuminates another without obscuring itself. To be reserved in this part of goodness is the most sordid piece of covetousness, and more contemptible than pecuniary avarice. Benevolence is absolute and real. So much benevolence as a man has, so much life has he. For all good things proceed out of the same spirit, which is differently named love. Justice and temperament, in its different applications, just as the ocean received different names on the several shores from which it washes. True benevolence, indeed, extends itself through the whole compass of existence and sympathizes with its distress of every creature of sensation. Little minds may be apt to consider a compassion of this inferior kind as insistence of weakness, but it is undoubtedly the evidence of a noble nature. Homer thought it not unbecoming the character even of a hero to melt into tears at the distress of this sort, and has given us a most amiable and affecting picture of Ulysses weeping over his faithful dog Argos when he expires at his feet. Freemasonry has no place for the little, selfish side of man. Its secrets are as the dead to him who looks at life that way. It looks for a man with the bigger soul, with the more universal spirit. It stops and stay with him, only sees the man's mission in the betterment of the human race. Who can take by the hand the fellow who is down and out, and put him on his feet, and send him on his way a better man? Its teachings are woefully practical and godlike when once we recognize them. It gives the individual a higher conception of a more definite mission. But while this is the spirit of Freemasonry, do we recognize it? For no man can understand and appreciate it until he has pondered long and faithfully upon its teachings. Too many, alas, fail to understand or get that broader vision which our obligations are intended to give. To them, Freemasonry is a failure. They are neither active nor practical Masons, but merely hangers-on. Such is not the fault of Freemasonry, but it is due to the fact that they have failed to mix thought and action. Every day one meets the so-called Freemason. He is in evidence everywhere. Perhaps he has been master or even grandmaster. Perhaps the fraternity has bestowed upon him every possible honour. He knows he has reached the highest rung in the ladder of his personal ambition. There he halts. There he comes to a dead stop. He throws Freemasonry aside as he would an old shoe or a sucked lemon. He ceases to attend lodge meetings. He has no more interest in the fraternity. There is not enough Masonic spirit left in him even to scribe to a Masonic paper. To all intents and purposes, 
so far as Freemasonry is concerned, he is dead. He professes, but he does not possess, and really never did possess, the real Masonic spirit. The real Freemason is the man whose everyday life one sees an exemplification of true Freemasonry. The real Mason may be poor as a church mouse, or he may be the richest man on the earth. But poor or rich, destitute or otherwise, the real Freemason demonstrates the teachings of the fraternity in his daily life, in his business and social dealings with his fellow men, in his religion and in his politics. The real Mason does not lose his interest in Freemasonry or his interest in his brethren. Age, position, wealth, these do not deaden his Masonic ardour. The real Freemason never says, I am not interested in Freemasonry, I have lost my brotherly feelings, I have gone to seed. Unless a man has the right kind of a heart, you cannot make him the right kind of a Freemason. You can fill his brain full of obligations and teach him symbols, and send him forth from the lodge room loaded to the guard with good intentions. And if his heart is not right, he will walk a block out of his way to keep from giving a poor beggar a nickel, and then hasten back again, circulate a scandal or interfere in matters that do not concern him. Charity, that God-given part of man, and the foundation of masonry is lacking in its composition, and therefore he can be a Freemason only in name. Charity or friendship, as it may well be called, is just the habit of giving our life to others. When we give our life away, we possess more of it. The more we give, the more we receive. To serve and do good as many as possible, there is nothing greater in your fortune that you should be able, and nothing finer in your nature that you should be desirous to do this. The true Freemason must be, and must have a right to be content with himself, and he can so only when he lives, not for himself alone, but for others, also, who need his assistance and have a claim upon his sympathy. Charity presupposes justice. He who truly loves his brother respects the right of his brother, but he does more. He forgets his own. Egoism sells or takes. Love delights in giving. In God, love is what is in us, but in an infinite degree. God is inexhaustible in his charity, as he is inexhaustible in his essence. That infinite omnipotence and infinite charity which, by an admirable goodwill, draws from the bosom of its immense love the favours which it incessantly bestows on the world and on humanity, teaches us that the more we give, the more we possess. Buddha said, the charitable man is loved by all. His friendship is prized highly. In death his heart is at rest and full of joy, for he suffers not from repentance. He receives the opening flower of his reward and the fruit that ripens from it. The charitable man has found the path of salvation. He is like the man who plants a sapling, 
securing thereby the shade, the flowers and the fruit in future years. Even so is the result of charity, even so is the joy of him who helps those who are in need of assistance. Confucius said, Love is to conquer itself and turn to courtesy. Could we conquer self and turn the courtesy for but one day, all mankind would turn to love. The signs of love are ever courteous of eye and ever courteous of ear, to be ever courteous in word and ever courteous in deed. Without the door to behave as though a great guest were come, to treat the people as though we tended the higher sacrifice, not to do unto others what we would not they should do unto us, to breed no wrongs in the home, to be respectful at home, painstaking at work, faithful to all. Love is to meet out five things we all bestow heaven, modesty and bounty, truth, earnestness and kindness. Modesty escapes insult. Bounty wins the many. Truth gains the man's trust. Earnestness brings success. Kindness is the key to men's work. There are two principles which divide the wills of men. Covertness and charity. Covertness uses God and enjoys the world. Charity is the opposite. Charity should be a distinguishing characteristic of every Freemason. It is the practice of this virtue that man most nearly reveals his kinship to God. The doctrines of Freemasonry are the most beautiful that it is possible to imagine. They breathe the simplicity of the earliest age, animated by the love of a martyred God. That word which the Puritans translated charity, but which is truly love, is the keystone which supports the entire edifice of this mystic science. Love one another, teach one another, and help another. That is all our doctrine, all our service, all our law. We have no moral-minded prejudices. We do not debar from our society this sect or that sect. It is sufficient for us that a man worships God, no matter under what name or in what manner. Ah, rail against us, be goth and ignorant men, if you will. Those who listen to the truth which Freemasonry inculcates can readily forgive you. It is impossible to be a good Freemason without being a good man. The immutable law of God requires that besides respecting the absolute rights of others and being merely just, we should do good, be charitable, and obey the dictates of the generous and noble sentiments of the soul. Charity is a law because our conscience is not satisfied nor at ease if we have not relieved the suffering, the distressed, and the destitute. It is to give that which he to whom you give has no right to take or demand. To be charitable is obligatory on us. We are not the almoners of God's bounties, but the obligation is not so precise and inflexible 
as the obligation to be just. Charity knows neither rule nor limit. It goes beyond all obligations. Its beauty consists of its liberty. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God him. To be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, to relieve the necessities of the needy, and be generous, liberal, and hospitable, to return to no man evil for evil, to rejoice at the good fortune of others and sympathize with them in their sorrows and misfortunes, to live peaceably with all men and repay injustice with benefits and kindness. These are the sublime dictates of the moral law taught from the infancy of the world by Freemasonry. Antiquity knew, described and practiced charity the first feature of which, so touching and, thank God, so common is goodness, as its loftiest one of heroism. Charity is devoted to another, and it is ridiculously senseless to pretend that there ever was an age of the world when the human soul was deprived of that part of its heritage, the power of devotion but it is certain that Christianity has diffused and popularized this virtue, and that before Christ these words were never spoken, Love one another, for that is the whole law. Love would put a new face on this weary old world in which we lived as pagans and enemies too long. It would warm the hearts to see how fast the vain diplomacy of statesmen the importance of armies and navies and lines of defence, which would be superseded by this unarmed child. Love will creep where force cannot go, will accomplish that by imperceptible methods, being its own lever, fulcrum and power, which force could never achieve. Have you not seen in the woods in a late autumn morning a poor fungus or mushroom, a plant without any solidity? Nay, that nothing left but a soft mush or jelly, by its constant, total, and conceivable gentle pushing, managed to break its way up through the frosty ground, and actually to lift a hard crust on its head. It is the symbol of the power of kindness. The virtue of this principle in human society, its application to great interest, is obsolete and forgotten. Once or twice in history it has been tried with signal success. This great overgrown, dead Christendom of ours still keeps alive at least the name of a lover of mankind. But one day all men will be lovers and every calamity will be dissolved in the universal sunshine. The power of gentleness is too little seen in the world. The subduing influences of pity the might of love, the control of mildness over passion, and the commanding majesty of that perfect character which mingles grave displeasure with grief and pity for the offenders. So it is that Freemasonry should treat its brethren who go astray not with bitterness, 
but yet with good-natured easiness, nor with worldly indifference, nor with philosophic coldness, nor the laxity of conscience that accounts everything well that possesses under the seal of public opinion, but with charity and with pitying, loving-kindness. Charity and loving-kindness are two words that comprehend the whole political and religious creed of Freemasonry. The law of charity cannot have been enacted by, nor the spirit of loving-kindness cannot have emulated from a cruel and ferocious God. It is the expression of this divine will because it is of the divine nature. What of the hour of Freemasonry? Brighter? Stronger? Clearer? We often become discouraged and inclined to be pessimistic, but amid all the errors and stumbling, a better day is dawning, when we shall see the beneficent labours of Freemasonry shining in effulgent splendour. Freemason is growing in power, and as its immortal principle takes root in the fallow soil of the human heart and mind, it buds and blossoms into foliage of kindness and the fruit of charity towards all mankind. Let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder to the faults of those about me let me praise a little more but let me be when i am weary just a little bit more cheery let me serve a little better those that i strive for let me be a little braver when temptation bids me waver let me strive a little harder to be all that i should be let me be a little meeker with a brother who is weaker let me think more of my neighbour and a little less of me. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.